Hello and welcome back to Walk the Cinema Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a genre of films called gothic romances. Um, So we picked out four movies. Well, I'd say we, but I feel like I mostly picked it out. because This is is something that I wanted to kind of explore. But I helped with the selection. Yeah, you did. I think some of them are obvious. Yeah, and we'll kind of get into it. But I wanted to go through kind of like my journey with gothic romances because it was something that I had wanted to explore a little bit more after I had read this book called um, Mexican Gothic, which is a gothic romance book set in Mexico. It's kind of in the name. And um, I had known about the gothic romance genre before this, but I didn't really get it until I read this book and I really enjoyed it and I liked the themes in it. So I was like, oh, well, I know there's a lot of classic books and then subsequent movies based on those books Mm -hmm. that are gothic romance in nature. So, you know, a gothic romance kind of has these... Uh, tropes I'd say that are kind of present throughout pretty much all of them where there's like some type of creepy atmosphere whether that's a castle or um, just a general vibe and then there's also kind of these uh, you know cursed families cursed um, things that happen to people uh, you know gloomy atmosphere all that kind of stuff and um The gothic fiction kind of came out um, or was first established back in 1764 uh, with a novel called The Castle of Toronto, I believe is how you say it, Um, which I have not read, but that kind of uh, book is like what I think defined gothic genres in general. And then, you know, I'd say it became really popular with women when Jane Eyre came out in 1847. So that's kind of the first one that we're going to be talking about is Jane Eyre. Um, We picked the 2011 film adaptation of Jane Eyre just because I feel like from what I read that that one was kind of the most well done um, and still kind of kept the uh, feel of the book because I did read this book and I really, really enjoyed it. It was... Probably one of the best books that I've read this year so far. And it was very well done, actually. Like, very obviously well done. Mm -hmm. The cinematography was really, really pretty. But he did employ a mechanism that's not in the book, I've been told by you because you read it. Mm -hmm. That it starts at the end of the story. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Where it starts kind of, um, I'd say, in the middle-ish. It's in the... Well, I guess it's like starts at the end, the, the beginning of the third act, I would say, in the book. Because in the book, the it, her life, Jane Eyre, is split up into three distinct eras, I'd say. We have her early childhood, we have her time at Thornfield Manor, and then we have kind of the aftermath of Thornfield. And so it starts, the movie starts out um, after her time at Thornfield, and then has some storyline with that and then it starts at the beginning like it goes back to the beginning to where she gets like Mm -hmm. sent to the boarding school and all that and how um like her life goes from there and you know i'd say that this type of gothic romance is more heavily focused on the romance element while having gothic undertones which i feel like some of the other ones that we were going to be discussing do still have more of like the the horror or the gothic romance element. Well, I feel like a lot of the that element comes with the twist in the story. Yeah, because the main twist and spoilers if you don't you want to like be ruined, but this book did come out in 1847, um, and there's so many adaptations of it. So I don't feel too bad if I'm spoiling it for you. But the main twist is that um, the main man's. Uh, wife he has a wife yeah first of all that's that's the first thing but she's been living in the attic and she is crazy so you know um yeah she lives in the attic you don't gotta add that she's crazy yeah uh but mr rochester that's our main character has been kind of living this double life and um the twist is that yeah she's married he tried to marry jane and that didn't really work out because he was 
found out or like he was exposed i guess but yeah that was genuinely shocking to me because i didn't read the book yeah so i was like oh crap like it it went from like okay this is good to it's getting a little boring and then the twist happens i'm like oh shit i didn't see that yeah (laughs) because at least you know in the in the movie i think it makes it a little less obvious um about like the creepy things that happen in the house because you know in there are like the elements where she hears the screaming at night and then, you know, wakes up or she'll hear like thudding and then she'll, she gets up and she notices that Mr. Rochester's bed is on fire. Like there's these types of things, but in, in the book, it does kind of delve more into those kind of creepy moments where she wakes up hearing like scuttering and stuff. And then she'll, she'll find, you know, Mr. Rochester in a burning bed or, you know, um, she'll hear the screaming in the night, and you know she she attributes it she attributes it to to one of the other help in the house, but it's very suspicious the way that Mr. Rochester is is handling the situation because mm-hmm. like you would think that if some of like one of your employees set your bed on fire you would fire them <laughs> or like get rid of them but he doesn't in the book but it doesn't really like explain that too much in the movie, so. My thing was, like, I, since I know what was happening, I kind of understood anyway, like, the plot of the of the movie. I don't know if it, like, portrayed those types of, like, connections very well to someone that hasn't, like, read the book or, mm. like, knows the story. So, kind of what was your opinion on on how the story, like, flowed? Like, did you feel like I you got I think the movie was hiding it more, so it's a bigger twist. Mm. And it worked, though. Like, it really worked for me. Like sure, they they show that she's hearing stuff and she sees the fire, but she doesn't figure it out, and neither do we. Yeah, like that like, would have we been. We really don't. Like if you're watching it, you can't figure it out because there's no direct clue. Yeah, and I just this was such a. I feel like this really was a good adaptation, and I like how they handled it because, to me personally, like once she leaves Thornfield. Um, in the book, it does kind of get a little bit more tedious to read because that's kind of what you're interested in. You're interested in the romance part and like the scandalous part because everything about Mr. Rochester is super, super scandalous. And, you know, I I do like reading those types of books. I really like Pride and Prejudice. Um, and I read this book because that was kind of like, in my mind, the next logical step. And, you know, I would heard that it was good. So... But reading it, it really does feel like you're just getting all the tea. It's so fun. Where, And Mr. Rochester is so scandalous. Like, it's 1847 when she wrote this book. And he, like, admits to Jane, like, they have this very, like, close relationship. And he's, like, talking to her about how he acquired his young ward, which is why Jane is there in the first place. Um, how he acquired her was because he used to be her mother's lover. lover. Yeah. And, you know, that's really scandalous. And they talk about, like, whether or not she's his. And he's like, I don't claim her, so no. But I'm not going to, like, let her, right. you know, go no, to the yeah, streets. No, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure when this book came out, there was a lot of people up in arms about it. Yeah, and I think one of the other criticisms of the time was that it was, like, too blasphemous, I guess. Because, mm. I mean, it. she does talk about religion a little bit in the book. It's not so much in this film adaptation but they were saying it was you know too uh spiritual and not you know religious in undertone Mm. so uh i think that that was kind of something that was very unique for the time i don't know it's a very good book and i think that this movie did really well because like i said i think starting at that point where i think the story starts to drag a little bit in the book starting there and then going back makes the movie feel fresh Mm. like you're not you're not going to be bored afterwards because i feel like if that kind of came after you had this you know romance section and then it's a whole bunch of like her being sad and trying to figure her life out again yeah like you're gonna get bored no the movie definitely works it's like really well acted Mm -hmm. and directed and i mean from all i can tell it adapted to the screenplay really well Mm -hmm. and it's just really pretty movie i really didn't get over how pretty it was especially because we're going to be talking about some other movies well, some other movies that <laughs> aren't, aren't pretty. pretty yes at least to me some people do like it but yeah we watched 
those first, and this one just felt so much better to my eyes. Yeah, because no. it was back to back too. It was like in the same night, so this one just I didn't get over how much prettier it was and how much better the acting was and how it flew by faster. Yeah, and I just think that the story is really good. I really enjoy it, and you know, I I, I know that there's some people that don't like this story too much because. Mr. Rochester is, is like 20 years older than Jane in the book, which, you know, that's to each their own. Um, I feel like that was pretty standard, the Hunter's type of story. Well, yeah, and this ty- gothic romances in general like kind of center around young, naive girls becoming women. You know what I mean? Like, mm. they're going through this whatever process that makes them into women, where they're... they're like naiveness is being ripped away or you know we all gotta become women at some point right but so i think that i mean that that is a pretty big theme throughout all of gothic romances um but i felt like this one was really good because jane is such a likable character in my opinion yeah and you know you're Seeing it through her eyes, you feel the emotions that she she feels. You and know? likability was a big issue in the next movie we're going to talk about for me. Yeah. So but let's agree. give our ratings first. I gave this a 7 out of 10, but it's like a high 7. It could be an 8 Yeah, on I a agree. better day. Maybe it's just I'm not into this type of story as much as you. Right. But the movie's super well done and it was good enough. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I also gave this a 7, kind of similar to you, where it could be an 8. I do have some problems with it just because um, I, you know, I love reading and I love how the book was was done. I just wish that I feel like the movie does do a good job of like portraying Jane and Mr. Rochester's like romance. However, I feel like the book was able to play it out so much better where sometimes in the movie I'm kind of like, okay, well, if I didn't have all this background knowledge, would I believe that they actually fell in love because we don't really see them together a ton in the movie you know what i mean like i'd say i don't even know how long that they like are interacting together you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like when we see them in the movie so i don't know i wish that maybe they would have added some elements more elements of that of their relationship building up but you know it wasn't bad and uh, you know, I'm being nitpicky because I've read the book, so, and I really just enjoy all those scenes that they have together. So, and there's like some parts where you definitely couldn't adapt it into the movie because it would just be weird. Like, there's a scene in the book where um, Mr. Rochester dresses up like I think it was like a a gypsy woman or like a a Creole woman, like somebody that is not from England. <laughs> And he pretends to be, like, a fortune teller to to see how all of his guests are, like, interacting and stuff just for funsies. And he, like, reveals himself to, to Jane and she's like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like, that kind of stuff. Like, that was cut. But it was kind of like a fun scene in the book. But just wouldn't, I don't think it would have translated well, you know? Yeah. But not to talk about the less likable film, in my opinion, Wuthering Heights from yes. 39, directed by William Wyler. Yes. Which, and... this got a lot of Oscar nominations, and I think we picked this because it's like the most successful one. Yeah, it might be, not be the most popular now, but it was the most successful. But honestly, after watching it, I think the William Wyler Association... Is what made it successful. Yeah. Because if you know of anything he was doing in the 30s, he was getting Oscar nominations, period. Mm-hmm. Like, he got so many Oscar nominations throughout his whole career. And this is no different. He got a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But it was just so... It wasn't particularly boring, but the characters just weren't likable. I wasn't rooting for them the way I think you're supposed to. Yeah. Because this, this is also based on a book. Um written by the sister of Charlotte Bronte, who wrote Jane Eyre, Emily Bronte. And um, Charlotte is definitely the more optimistic sister, I would say, because this story is just very depressing. Um, Emily Bronte's Withering Heights is very depressing, I would say, as a story. 
Um, and this movie and a lot of the other adaptations don't fully expand upon the plot of the book. There's like a whole secondary plot of kind of the main character's children that they go into. Um, but a lot of the adaptations, including this one, just kind of do away with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them because if that that really would be very hard to translate onto yeah. to film. I mean, I think there's other stuff that doesn't translate really well to the movie that I'm not sure do in the book. Like the brother, mm-hmm. that's like a really big asshole <laughs> to the main character. Yeah. He kind of just becomes useless as the movie goes on. Yeah. And I feel like there could be some type of murder plot or, I don't know, something with him. It doesn't really happen. He's just a drunk. Yeah. And that's why he loses the house and it becomes a whole thing. But yeah, but this is a story about uh, Heathcliff and Kathy who are kind of, I'd say, like childhood sweethearts, kind of, where they're not really together, but there's always been this kind of pull towards each other mm-hmm. and um, just kind of them growing up and having to deal with the consequences of their actions i would say which i get i get why like on paper people would like this Mm -hmm. it is a tragedy like like, theoretically right it's like two kids grew up together they really love each other but they can't be together because they're different classes and that should work Mm -hmm. but it doesn't because the characters are so unlikable like their actions just piss me off and i get that's for the drama of it but like i don't know it's just i'm just like Okay, you're clearly not meant for each other. Just because you grew up together. That's that's my problem, I think. Because um, I'm going to compare the two, Jane Austen and Wuthering Heights. Because A, they're both written by sisters. And B, you know, they they were same kind of genre. This still is a gothic romance. There still are elements. Like the Moors is kind of that gloomy, creepy element. The the house that um, Heathcliff ends up buying, that's still kind of like, you know, uh, bad bad vibes type thing. and it still features like this young girl kind of becoming a woman uh, with Kathy kind of gro- we see her growing into mm-hmm. what she wants. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's just not as the characters really aren't as likable because it's the decisions that because, are shown. Yeah. And like, you know, in in Jane Eyre, I can see why people might not like Mr. Rochester because he he lies to Jane. He tries to get her to marry him wh- right. while knowing he's already married. He can't marry her. Right, but not liking him is fine because he's not the main character. Right. Jane Eyre is. So, like, you kind of just feel extra bad for her if you yeah. don't like him. So, it, it works in that sense. Yeah. But, you know, there's, like, these... It's still, like, you have these moments where it's, like, oh, he's still, like, a good guy. He still really cares for her. He, he would throw away his whole life to be with her because that's kind of what he offers her. He's, like, we can move anywhere. We can pretend to be husband and wife. Like, we could leave all this behind. Like, just, just come with me. And she's, like, I'm not going to be your mistress. Mm-hmm. I need to, like, hold myself accountable. I need to, to do better for myself. And in Withering Heights, you have both these characters where Kathy's just so insufferable and she says so much, so many mean things to Heathcliff that it's kind of like, why would Heathcliff like fight for you, in my opinion? Right. And it's not the directing. No. At all. Like, again, William Wyler is a really accomplished studio director. So he knew what he was doing, especially in those like scenes where they're imagining, like they're playing king and queen. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're imagining stuff and we're supposed to imagine it. Like, that really works. And that's thanks to the directing and the acting. But it's got to be the source material that's, like, the root of this just... I don't know. It just doesn't work for me at all. Yeah, because it's like, I don't understand why either of you like the other one. Like, I don't understand why Kathy would like him when he also says, like, some just... wild (laughs) crap yeah that's like a point of like the book too where there was kind of domestic violence and like slapped her and and the slaps in this movie look a little weak goofy yeah it's it's goofy because it's weak but i don't know if that's on purpose or like oh he's hitting her but it's half-hearted yeah like it doesn't mean to hurt her it's just just wants to shock her yeah but he's still hitting her which i guess you could get away with in the 1800s well that was also the thing like that was kind of it was controversial for depicting that. It was controversial for depicting like mental and physical abuse, um, domestic violence, because Heathcliff isn't nice to his wife. He doesn't end up marrying Kathy. He ends up marrying Kathy's husband's sister. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah. No, uh, Isabella. I, Isabella, yes. And she 
It's so silly. Like, she should know that she's being used. And I feel like she kind of does. She doesn't want to believe it, though. Yeah. So, I mean, he's using her. So, I don't know how we're supposed to like him. I don't know how we're supposed to like him. I don't know how we're supposed to like her because she does have... And I don't know if it's just Victorian sensibilities where, you know... I mean, it's not like how it is today. Like, marriage is still kind of considered contractual. You know, Mm -hmm. you need to... If you can, you need to pick a man that can provide for you and can give you a certain lifestyle, which Heathcliff at the time couldn't do. Right, and that's what she says, and he overhears, like, he's a class below me, I can't marry him, it would be humiliating. Yeah. But I love him. I feel like at that point it doesn't matter, because he still said all those those things that are so foul. Yeah. That even... If he heard that part, he'd still be like, oh, but you still think of me as a gypsy beggar or as like a class below you. Mm-hmm. And just, I don't know, it's still foul to me. It doesn't matter. Because she still feels those things, even if she feels love. Mm-hmm. She also feels like he's not as good as of a human as Edgar. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's, he's not worth as much. It's weird. It's not romantic to me. Like the story kind of works. Like if, if you don't look at it as romantic yeah. and you look at it as like a, a tale of revenge. Really? Like it kind of works. Like it works as revenge. I don't hate the movie. No. But it doesn't work as a romance. Yeah. And for I think, me. And I think that it's kind of funny because this book, like Withering Heights, is mentioned in Twilight. As Bella's kind of, uh, she's kind of like, I wouldn't say she's obsessed with it, but she does talk about it in that book too. And just knowing that Stephanie Meyer kind of, like, loosely had this adaptation of Withering Heights. And it feels like it, too. Yeah, like, it's a loose adaptation of Withering Heights uh, with Twilight. And it just, it makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> like, just knowing. No, it did. <laughs> Watching this did feel like, oh, this could be Twilight. Like, the first two. Yeah. And, I guess, the beginning of the third one put together mm. could kind of be Withering Heights. Right. But... It's just kind of funny to me. But with this this movie, um, I have not actually read the book. I've kind of read the synopsis of the book before. I do have it. It's on my reading list. Yeah, it's, um, it was on the couch for like a week while we're like, should I read it before the movie? And then it just never got picked up. Yeah, because it is kind of like, I don't know, those, those types of books, like Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, Wedding Heights, while I like them, they do take a lot out of you, uh-huh. I feel like, to read. Just because, I mean, it's written, it's not written in a different language, but it is written in a different style that I think sometimes it takes me a little while to get into before I can kind of fluently yeah, understand Yeah, I mean, everything. that happens even with books that are released now. I mean, yeah. I've been reading a lot of books lately, mm-hmm. and some of them just start slow, not because the narrative is slow, but just you got to get used to it. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the regular pace, and it, you finish it faster. And I feel like it's like classical books, especially from the 1800s, are always definitely going to fall into that trap for you. Yeah. Where like if you give up too early on the book, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because you just got to get used to the way it's written and the speed of it mm-hmm. and not really that the book is bad or good or whatever. Yeah. Or slow. Because I think... I had this idea growing up that, like, older stuff was just slower. Mm-hmm. Wuthering Heights, the movie, not slow. It's not slow. No. And it's not long either. It's actually kind of short. But it, it moves by fast enough that you're never, like, bored by it. It's definitely not boring. It's just not romantic. And I feel like that that's the main issue for me. Mm-hmm. I'm also not in love with the with the two leading actors. I know they, I think both got Oscar nominations, but I don't, I'm not convinced. Mm-hmm. And we will see um, L- Lawrence Oliver, Oliver. Olivier. Yeah, that one. We will see him again because we're going to talk about another movie he did next. next but um, just to kind of backpedal a little bit, you know, this kind of talking about the leads, I think it's kind of funny that. There's this kind of character type that developed um, after the Bronte sisters uh, wrote these books and, you know, in subsequent literary writings uh, where they call it the Bronic Hero, which is um, like a uh, an anti-hero type 
person where it's like this man that's moody, he's cynical, he's a little bit mysterious, that kind of thing. Are you describing me? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, they classify, you know, Heathcliff is is one of these characters as well as um, Mr. Rochester. And I feel like they really could not be more different. I just... I don't know. Like, it's weird that they're both put in this category. And I guess it is because they're both anti-heroes. Like, they do really crappy things. Right. Heathcliff just feels like he's on a revenge path. Yeah. Though, so that's why it feels really different. Yeah. Because he's trying to prove that he's, like, actually good and would have been good for her. But yeah. it's too late. Mm-hmm. And I get it. And that kind of works. But he doesn't come off as likable. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it's supposed to because even anti-heroes can be likable yeah ratcliffe is not necessarily unlikable in the movie yeah rochester yeah rochester sorry (laughs) not harry potter (laughs) ratcliffe yeah yeah i i don't know there's other like other ones that are um like these characters, you know, like the Phantom from Phantom of the Opera. He's technically one of these like character types. Yeah, but you feel bad for him. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's I guess you could do a lot with that character type. Yeah, there is you know these these character types that are just interesting. But I just find I think that it is kind of like a comparison between these two movies. Like since we did this together, like the comparison has to be brought up. I'd say. Yeah. That's even the point. though, even though, like, if I was my, if I was Charlotte or Emily, and for all eternity i was compared to my sister that would kind of suck <laughs> but i think that they still really did um a good job at creating these stories that were primarily geared towards women that had something of substance like i can i can just imagine like being a girly in the 1840s like picking up either one of these books and being like wow this is crazy like, this is crazy. I couldn't, I didn't know women could do that. You know? Okay, but rating-wise, I gave this movie a six. Yeah. It's really just not super strong, but it's not terrible. No. If If you drop the romance out of it and you watch it as a revenge drama towards yeah. the end, it's a lot more fun. Even though it ends really romantic and the ending kind of works for me because mm-hmm. it's kind of cute mm-hmm. where they walk away <laughs> as ghosts together. Yeah, they I do. I think that's cute, but... It is kind of cute. But again, cute, I, I don't but... actually mean, I, I don't actually feel like they're meant for each other. I no. know that they share a soul, whatever. Like that's like what she said. Yeah, that like a, that's a very big um, like quote that I've seen that a lot of people, at least on book talk, still kind of quote to this day, just with like other characters from the book or from different books, where it's like his and my soul are made from the same stuff. Like, they are soulmates. Yeah, I understand that's why they end up together as ghosts, but their actions just don't represent that. Yeah, and it's kind of like, I I guess maybe in historical context it would be more of, like, a tragic romance thing, but I don't know, because it just feels like everything that they do just makes it so it hurts the other one. And it doesn't really feel like they actually care about each other until Kathy is dying, you know, mm-hmm. where he she calls out for him and he comes to her. So you're agreeing with my rating? Yeah, yeah, six six out of six out of ten. I I thought it was fine. It yeah. was fine. Fine, I, fine is a good word. And I'm describe. not. I'm probably not going to watch it again. No, but something I will watch again is Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. Yes, Rebecca was great. I really enjoyed Rebecca. Yeah, this was the best one we watched by far. Yeah, and this is also another book adaptation. Um, It was uh, a book that came out in 1938, and it was uh, a gothic romance novel that was kind of um, newer at the time because I'd say that, you know, we had the literary kind of uh, movement in the 1800s, um, 1700s even, but then there was kind of like a renewed interest in gothic romance in like the 1930s, 1940s. So we see a lot of these adaptations come out kind of back to back to back. So like there was a lot of adaptations from like the 20s to the 40s of both Withering Heights and Jane Eyre. And then we had this novel that came out in 1938 and then Hitchcock 
released this movie based on the book in 1940. The best picture version out of it. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. And it still stars um, our Heathcliff from uh, the Withering Heights. Yeah. Laurence Olivier is not as convincing in this for me. Mm. Which is blasphemous to uh, say, I suppose. Because this is such a classic film. Perhaps. I don't know. While we're still doubting him, because this movie is about... A woman that kind of lives in the shadow of a dead ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And the twist is in relationship to the ex-wife and what happened in regards to her death. Yeah. But while we still have doubts in regard to that, Olivia's performance just kind of feels Flat. one note. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It, it doesn't feel like there's a lot that he's giving us. And I feel like that maybe because it's still trying to... To give us an an air of mystery, because the plot of this book is our main character doesn't have a name. She's just known as like Mrs. De Winter. Yeah, which is the point. She's in the shadow of. Yeah, she doesn't have her own identity because she's so. She's so concerned about having to replace the wife. Yeah, being the new wife that she forgets who she is sometimes she even forgets she's mrs de winter yeah when she gets a phone call asking for mrs de winter it's like oh she died a year ago and then yeah. she remembers she's mrs de winter now yeah like so, she doesn't have to live like she is that person now yeah, but... a lot of the movies about her identity mm-hmm. and, at least the first before the twist half yeah and this still has those elements of the gothic romance where our main character is a pretty young woman She's a lot younger than um, Maxim, our main character, our, As you did. our man, man, our <laughs> our male main character, and uh, you know, throughout the story, she kind of becomes a woman. She loses her innocence in this in this movie, kind of towards the end after the twist. But it is kind of like a psychological thing because she doesn't know anything about the wife because Maxim won't tell her anything about his ex wife or his deceased wife but everybody around her is like she was the best thing in the yeah, world like, like you, sh- you can't live up to her yeah you can't replace her you like, th- oh you think you're gonna take her place you're not you good literally enough can't. yeah right and mrs danvers <laughs> is especially one that um who is the housekeeper she's the one that kind of i think is is the biggest push of of the first Mrs. De Winter. She kind of feels like she was in love with Mrs. De Winter. Yeah, Rebecca. Her name is Rebecca, and that's why the story oh, sorry, is... Yeah, Rebecca. She kind of does feel like she was in love with the original Mrs. De Winter, Rebecca. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that in the 40s couldn't be confirmed, and I'm sure in the book it couldn't be confirmed either. Yeah, but it, it is very heavily, like, coded that way. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do take it that way. I which I do, too. I think it's kind of obvious, though. Yeah. Um, but, like, why uh, else would she do that? All those yeah. things that she does. I don't know. But, you know, you have, like, the big old house that they live in, which is another element that is pretty common in these gothic romances. You have the mysterious man that this woman is married or has a romantic connection to. And he's very secretive about stuff. Like, he won't tell her... He won't show her Rebecca's old room. Or he won't allow her to go down to this cabin thing because it has all her stuff there and you're just wondering like is he still in love with her we don't know he doesn't really he's not that's, very but that's what's indicated yeah and he's not very affectionate with mrs de winter our main right. character because he's not like that i think it is the purpose that we're supposed to wonder like why did he marry her if all he's gonna do is like you know be kind of mean yeah. to her and at some point, I didn't know what the twist was going to be, so I thought that it was going to be like he was trying to replace mm-hmm. Rebecca, right? And that you know she was going to like look like her, or you know there was going to be something that was like very jarringly like he was going to try to make her Rebecca. But the more she looks like her, the angrier he yeah, got. the angry God is like, what are you doing? And she thought it was because she wasn't good enough, yeah, to do the things that Rebecca did. But then we find out that he accidentally killed her. He killed his wife. And then... Kind of accidentally. Kind of accidentally. He he does have these, like, weird ragey moments, which I kind of was like, that's a red flag. Like, right. And he, he hates her. He hated her. Yeah, because she kind of misrepresented who she was. Because Rebecca was, coincidentally, I guess, having an affair with her cousin. 
and happens all the time yeah i i guess so and she was like this is who i am this is who i'm gonna be sorry about it like after they were already married and she's like i'm gonna do what i want but because i like the lifestyle that you're gonna provide for me and i know that you have like your whole pride thing going on you're not gonna divorce me so i'll pretend to be the best little wife that you could possibly have Mm -hmm. and i'll make everybody love me and I'll continue doing what I, I'm going to be doing. So he was miserable in this marriage and she was living it up because there's really nothing. There was no cons to this situation for Rebecca. And it's when we find this out that I think Olivia gives the first like really good monologue of his. Mm-hmm. It was like, love her. I hated her. And then he like explains stuff. Yeah. And, like finally he's like letting it out. I think that's probably like, I mean, the it's, point part, of it's it. part of the pacing of it. Yeah. Cause he's, but but still, I don't know. Maybe he's just not good at being one note. He's too good of an actor to not act. I don't know. Perhaps. Like, I understand that the purpose of him not being over-emotional in the first half is so he can explode. But that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just saying he came, he, he came off as someone that... I don't know. It's just I just didn't love it. And even after, I didn't love it. But it was better. Mm. But it is like... I mean, the twist that happened was very interesting to me because, you know, we end up finding her body, which we thought we already had because... She got buried. She was buried. Maxim, well, she had a funeral. Yeah. Mac, well, she was buried. Maxim, like, identified the body. But what really happened is he put her in a little boat or something and, like, sunk her to the bottom of the ocean or to the little lake that they were on. And then just had like some other woman that was like a prostitute or something. I don't really know. Like, I don't remember exactly what she was, but he just like used her and was like, yeah, that's my wife. Totally. Um, now I get to be in mourning. And so, so it would look like an accident instead of like him murdering her. And once they find the body, they're like, we got to open an investigation. And through that, they kind of, de- they, they ultimately end up determining that it was a suicide because she found out she wasn't pregnant, which mm-hmm. is what she told Maxim and kind of what made him go into this rage because she was like goading him. She's like, how's it going to feel knowing that you're going to have this son that's not yours and and <laughs> you're going to have to raise it and look at it and your your line, your family line's going to die. Yeah, and we it, don't meet Rebecca, but we kind of don't want to. She seems like a, a pest. Yeah, and it's kind of, I, I know a lot of criticism towards these types of movies in general is making these wife characters crazy and like putting the blame all the blame on them instead of like maybe the perspective that maybe the guy also wasn't that great because i know there's like several adaptations that you know in jane eyre they take the perspective of the wife that lives in the the attic and um like how how it would feel to just get married and then during kind of your bad times be kind of like shrouded as this like crazy psycho which like in the book like yeah she is kind of psychotic because she does burn the house down um but i know that that's kind of a criticism that it is kind of making like these wife characters that the men no longer want being just like evil villains you know what i mean yeah it's just something that i've seen uh, be a, a criticism of these types of movies and films and books and all that jazz, you know. They do, if especially if you watch them all like back to back to back to do an episode for a podcast, for example. You do kind of start realizing it's not a lot you can do and remain a gothic romance. It kind of does repeat itself yeah, to some extent. It does. It's the vibes. Yeah, but Rebecca's just so good that it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I really like the twist. I really like how... Um, this one is like a happier ending. You know, Jane Eyre was happy, had a happy ending. This one has a happy ending. Wuthering Heights did not have a happy ending. Well, this one is kind of obviously more modern, mm-hmm. right? It feels more modern. And the happy ending is kind of a more modern happy ending where it's not necessarily the happy ending for everyone. Right. But it's the happy ending that we want as yeah. viewers. Yeah, because, you know, after... Mrs. Danvers finds out that Rebecca's death was labeled as a suicide because it was turned turned out she had cancer. And, you know, that would be the reason why 
she committed suicide. Uh, Which she kind of did commit suicide. She did suicide by husband, is yeah, what I call it. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, oh, I want to die. Let me go make him kill me. So it, as like a punishment for him, like so, a one last. So she got murdered, but she wanted to get murdered. So that's kind of a suicide. It's 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 ambiguous. Like a suicide by cop type thing. Yeah. Uh, suicide by angry husband. Yeah. But so it was labeled a suicide and Mrs. Danvers did not want Maxim and Mrs. Danvers or Mrs. Um, De Winter to, to live happily in this house where Rebecca used to live. So she burns it down, just like the wife in uh, mm. Jane Eyre. A lot of burning buildings. A lot of fire. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it ends kind of with Maxim and our new second Mrs. De Winter uh not being able to live in this house they kind of have to start over but i think that they were both they both seem to be kind of okay with it because like now they don't have to live in this kind of shadow of mm-hmm. rebecca uh and so it kind of it kind of works out all in the end like yeah. yeah like your house burned down and like i'm sure there was a lot of stuff in there that meant something to you but it all worked out in the end and yeah, he may have murdered someone, but they're kind of like in it together because that's kind of like the the shift of um, Mrs. De Winter, her shift of being like a young girl mm. into now a woman is her trying to help her husband. Yeah, she cover went it from up. someone that's not sure of herself to someone that is covering up a murder. That's pretty yeah. adult. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of like well, that's definitely like a loss of innocence. Yeah. It works in almost every facet. Yeah. I give it an 8 out of 10. Yeah. It's just a really entertaining film. Mm-hmm. I gave this a 9 out of 10. And I just really liked it. It was... It, it definitely was up there in my uh, Hitchcock, Hitchcock yeah. adaptations or Hitchcock films. Um, it, it I feel like it's almost a 10. I do kind of agree that the... The acting sometimes is a little bit lackluster with our main, our main male, and kind of maybe we gotta watch it again. We we misinterpreted him. Yeah, that can happen. That can happen. Yeah, and I think that knowing the twist kind of would help too. Maybe, you know? perhaps so, I don't know. Yeah, but overall, very good. I really enjoyed it. It might be a ten on a secondary watch. Um, I have to like you know see how that goes but it's a nine for me i really i really enjoyed it so for the last one i guess we save the worst for last that's your opinion we're talking about <laughs> crimson peak yeah it's our modern our very very modern um not based on a book romance. yeah and it's just kind of a, a thing Guillermo so del Toro i will to say before i shit too much on it i appreciate Guillermo del toro as a person and as a a voice for the cinema community like, I think he makes a lot of good points and he's, you know, he helps young creators and he's he's just really good at, for the cinema world. So we don't devolve into just having superheroes and studio films and that type of stuff. But as a filmmaker, I couldn't dislike him more. I really just don't like his movies. And I know he has a lot of fans and a lot of people love Penn's Labyrinth and even Crimson Peak and Shape of Water. I just don't. And mm. this might be the lowest point for me. Bold statements, to be honest. Um, I really enjoy Pan's Labyrinth, which I'm sure we are. I think we have plans to talk about that in the future, but um, we're going to be talking about Crimson Peak today. And I had a very complicated relationship with Crimson Peak because I saw recently within the past like year or two about how much people enjoyed this movie. How much that they like loved this movie. And I really didn't get it because I saw it when it came out in 2015. And I think my expectations of it were just different than what I received from watching it. Because this is a gothic romance film. And I think that the marketing kind of played up the more horror elements of it. So I thought that this was like a straight up horror film. And that there was going to be a lot more horror elements. And so me and my friend like went to the movie theater expecting this like terrifying horror movie. And then we get this kind of like lackluster Mm -hmm. romance film. 
And I just did not like it. So 2015 was the first and last time I had ever seen it. And then I decided, you know, I wanted to give it a try because I had read Mexican Gothic. And I was like, okay, I get Gothic romances now. Like, I I get it. I get it now. (laughs) So I wanted to, like, revisit it because I was like, I know that this is a Gothic romance. I now know that the marketing kind of messed with me the first time. So maybe I should give it a chance. So that's why I kind of suggested this to begin with, because it is the modern take. And it is from a director that I'd say a lot of people like. And And he's successful. So I'm glad he's successful. I'm glad he has a market that people like, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm glad he has fans. I'm just not one of them. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not a hater because I, I do think he does a lot of good things for the community. But some of those good things are not making movies. Fair enough. I'm defending myself at this point. <laughs> yes. But so this is about the characters Edith and Thomas. And Thomas is played by Tom Hiddleston. Which... And- he sucks. Just straight up, he sucks. I mean, uh, it's maybe it's my opinion, but I watched the movie and I'm like, this guy sucks at acting. Like, it, this just feels like I'm watching someone that doesn't know how to act. I don't know. I I did not mind it, but I I don't know. And then Edith is played by Mia Wizakowska. Jane Eyre herself. Uh, yeah, she's Jane Eyre, um, who is in the 2011 one. So she she does kind of have like a, a type. I'd say she's fine in it. She's um, whatever. I do. I Forgettable, don't Forgettable. If it, anything. Again, we have this naive young character. She's unmarried. She lives with her dad. She can speak to ghosts or she can see ghosts. Ghosts speak to her. Yeah. And by the way, the ghosts look like ass. The CGI is really bad in this. And they look scary for like the first second you see them. Yeah. But then the more you stare at them. The more you're like, oh, that's CGI. Never mind. I'm not scared anymore. Right. I kind of, I kind of get that. And so, and I think, yeah, the more that the you're, you're exposed to them, the less you're scared. So I think that that is also kind of the downfall that so I, I have. I don't think they're supposed to be scary because they're not evil. Yeah, and I feel like that is kind of the point too, where like throughout the movie she kind of becomes less scared of them because now she knows that they're trying to help her. But anyway. We'll kind of get into that. But so, um, again, young girl, naive, she ends up marrying Thomas and they go to this house, um, which is his big old gothic house that is also always there. And I'd say that this one plays up the most horror elements in like a gothic romance where it almost feels like a gothic horror instead of just the gothic romance. And I think the only thing that it's, that saves it is it is about love. Like everything that happens is it, it the focal element mm. is about love. I mean, we watched the extras on the Criterion Blu-ray and Guillermo was very certain that he wanted to make a gothic romance. Mm-hmm. And that's why he made this. But I don't know if through the process of writing at some point, it kind of got meddled up. Mm. And it became less of a gothic romance and more of him trying to make the movie actually work. Yeah. And, like, there's some elements of this where I, I remember my friend when we were sitting in this movie. She was like, I bet that the brother and sister, because the sister, Thomas has a sister. Her name is Lucille. Um, and she's plays by Jessica Chastain. She's the most memorable character in this. Yeah. And uh, she was like, I bet that they're, like, they're, I bet they're there together, like the brother and sister. Which, guess who else called it? Yeah, you also called it. <laughs> it's very obvious. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you just kind of like, that's a thing. That's kind of like the, the horror of it all, too. Yeah, incest is horrifying. And, you know, I think that there are some problems with this movie. So uh, we watched it again, and I can s- definitively say that I still don't get this movie. You've seen it, like, what, three times? I've seen it three times now, because I watched it. Back in 2015, I watched again on an airplane, like within the last couple years. It's the best place to watch movies. Yeah, because I was like, maybe, maybe I was a kid, you know, as a kid, kind of. I had my driver's license, but (laughs) not much else to my name. Um, And I was like, "Eh, maybe I'll watch it again. Watched it again. I didn't hate it. Like I hated it the first time I watched it. Mm -hmm. And then after kind of delving into the gothic romance genre in general, and understanding the elements in the in the 
the themes that that it has. I thought maybe I I would get it, but I don't. I really just don't get it. I know that a lot of people say that this is really good and that the uh, cinematography is beautiful. The cinematography is so dookie, though, to me. Because it just doesn't feel at all like I'm watching something that's real. Mm. I know Guillermo does that. He makes his movies look like fairy tales whatever yeah that's kind of my thing this doesn't even look like a fairy tale personally but it, but even if it if it did i'm like sure okay it looks like a fairy tale but it doesn't look like something you would really the be. house doesn't look real it doesn't look like a real house yeah the, the all the other movies do it so much better where they create an environment that feels real mm-hmm. like it, where people live there mm-hmm. and stuff can happen there and heartbreak happens there like an amc theater Right, <laughs> but with this house and these characters and these colors that are so jarring, it just doesn't. It doesn't feel real. But it also like the story is not a fairy tale story, so it's a ghost story. But even the ghosts are like one of the ghosts is blood red. Yeah, it's just so jarring. Like that's not a ghost. That's not what we think of when we think of ghosts. If ghosts were blood red, we'd see them everywhere, right? If you believe in ghosts and ghosts are blood red, you'd see them all the time because like they're yeah, really and there's, obvious. There's very like different things where it's like I don't understand what the mechanics of these ghosts are because you see her mom and she's like a skeleton in her. I would assume like whatever she was buried in because that's like how she's she tells her daughter beware of Crim- Crimson Peak, and we find out later that that is the name of the the house during the winter because the red clay that it's built on turns the snow red so they call it crimson peak um which i I think that whole plot he was whoever was writing i don't know if guillermo wrote it alone but they were thinking of the cinematography as they wrote that oh red snow hell yeah yeah. yeah. that's gonna (laughs) look so cool perhaps but (laughs) so her mom looks like a skeleton and then some of the ghosts, like the, because we find out that Thomas Sharp has been married multiple times and they all have been murdered and he hasn't told her any of this, you know? But that's not a, a bad plot device. No, like, that no. could work in a better movie. Like, I could see myself really getting into that yeah. if I wasn't already so against the movie by the point we find that out. Yeah. But, you know, all of those ghosts, like, are kind of distorted and they kind of have, like, a body. Like, they're not skeletons. But then they also have like the the things like the elements of of however they were killed, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where like one of them has a cracked open skull because she was malleted or uh, macheted, cleaved just, to it's death. Just too obvious. And then, but then Thomas ends up being killed by his sister because he fell in love with Edith, and he appears as a ghost, but. As, like, just a full-bodied, like, apparition of him I actually looking... laughed when he showed up. I was like, that's that's so silly. But they're all different. And I don't understand, like, like that kind of element, you know? Where it's like, the rules of this universe don't seem to align. And then the other thing that kind of bothers me is the story itself. Like, they are murdering these women for their money. Mm-hmm. And because they have no family. So, I'm confused as to why they picked the two women as, like, candidates for Thomas to marry. Because he was going to marry this other girl. Like, it was going to be her. But she had, like, an entire family that, like, she wasn't going to inherit any money anytime soon. But that was who they were going to marry. And then, Edith... Like, yeah, she only has her dad, but also she, like, I mean, that was still, like, a a thing. They had to kill the dad in order for her to be, you know, available. And he (laughs) he goes out of his way to make sure he marries Edith. Like, he bypasses the girl that he was going to marry, or he was going to propose to, and goes to Edith and is like, I want her. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Because he's like, oh, I like her because of this and this and this. Like, she makes me feel free, yada, blada. But then, like, I he, think his character is just not well. He knows that she's going to die. Like, that's the whole thing. Yeah, and it's, I don't think it's, like, it's well thought out. Because he knows that these women are going to die. But then when we find out that they've been killing them, he acts innocent. Yeah, he acts and innocent. And we're supposed to be on his side now because he's like, oh, no, I changed my mind. I'm going to help he's, this one. Like, he still helped kill all these women. Because, like, <laughs> there's, like, this scene 
And I know a lot of people that like this movie love this line. Like, they love it. Where she's like, you lied to me. And he's like, I did. She's like, you you hurt me. And he's like, I did. And she's like, I, you said you loved me. And he's like, I do. And it's like, no, you don't. Like, you did not go through all of this stuff. Because I think, I think maybe what it's supposed to be is he wants to have his cake and eat it too. Because he like tells Lucille like we can all go away together and like go away from here and like not look back and Lucille's like we and (laughs) she's like what do you mean like you and me or like everybody and she kind of like understands that he means like he wants to be with Edith like he wants to still be with her and you know I don't know like what is his plan he's just gonna have his like sister and his wife, and he's going to do both of them. Like, I really don't know, like, where he was going with that plan. And it doesn't make any sense to me that he picked her because he loved her when he knows that she was going to be poisoned. And the only reason he, like, told her, like, stop drinking the poison is because she found out that, like, they were poisoning her. Yeah, she already knew. And it's like, ah, it doesn't matter. I put it in the oatmeal. Yeah, like. It's fine. <laughs> literally, it's baffling. Like, the story to me is baffling. And I think that that is why I don't like it as much. Um, because I just, I don't buy into the plot very much. Yeah, no, it's, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like anything, really. I don't like the actors. I don't like the director. <laughs> I see his directing. Like, I think it's pretty obvious what he's trying to do, but it just doesn't work for me. Um, the cinematography is not good. I mean, people love it. People, not even the cinematography, people love the, the color palette. Yeah, I don't like the color palette either. The it's... cinematography, whatever, kind of, it's fine. The snow looks really fake. The ghosts look really fake. Mm. I don't, just, none of it really works for me. It's a four at best. Could be a three. I mean, I'm trying to be nice at the end. That's crazy. I don't think it's that bad, but I also just really don't, I don't get like the love that it has. Especially because I do think that there are movies by Guillermo del Toro that are good. And this this just f- does not feel like it's it. I still gave it a six because I think it's fine. And I don't know. I, the more I think about it, though, the, more, the less I'm like, <laughs> I like it, though. Because it just doesn't feel... It just, it really doesn't feel good. You know? It, I didn't feel good watching it. Yeah. I felt I felt like I was wasting my, my time. I didn't feel like I was wasting my time because, <laughs> I mean, we did do this, like, but, but, but kind of, like, going through other gothic romances, like, literary and on film, there's so, there's, they're done so much better. And, like, even the drama, like, okay, we talked about how we don't really love Withering Heights. Like, we don't like the characters very much. Mm-hmm. But like the plot still works. Like the this, drama there's works. drama. Like the romance is, doesn't. Yeah, the romance doesn't work, but the drama itself works. Like you're like, oh, oh wow. Like you are kind of hyping up uh, Heathcliff in some moments because like you feel wronged with him, and you're like, yeah, go ahead and marry her sister-in-law, make her feel bad. You know, like you are kind of hyping him up with this. Like it just kind of feels like a lot of things are just happening to Edith, and she's like can't control any of them. You know, where it's like not, the action isn't happening. Like, she's not driving the action. The action is just kind of happening to her. I, I think her character is just in the background after a while. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. She's still, like, at the forefront, but I think she's just, like, a conduit for other people. No, sure. Her, like, the story goes through her, but she kind of feels like an object. I don't I don't know. It, it's. Let's let's move on. Keep this under an hour, maybe. <laughs> We, we've yacked yeah. enough. We've talked about all these gothic romances. Some are good. But I don't. I feel like it's not a genre for me. I feel, Rebecca was always going to be good. I feel like this is kind of right up my alley in terms of like, you know, I like the, the gothic elements and I do like a little bit of drama. I'd say that. You like a lot of drama. Yeah. Well, I really liked, you know, I'll say it again. Jane Eyre was so good because it was filled with drama. And I felt like, like, anything that Heathcliff did wasn't 
so awful that like his character was irredeemable you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i liked that element and he was like kind of obsessed with um jane so that's also like an element that i like i love when the male characters are like obsessed with their their like love interest like it's always like a good feeling so i like that kind of stuff but anyway i feel like that's all that we can say yeah wrap it up right there and we have new episodes every first and third monday of every month so you can subscribe to us on youtube spotify apple podcast make sure you don't miss an episode and you can go to the back catalog and listen to other episodes and yeah we'll see you in the next one